say my partner's going on more dates than I am or has more serious partners than I have, you know, I can start to feel jealous or envious of that of like, oh gosh, you know, I wish I had those things. But then when it, sometimes when I stop and think about it, I'm like, I don't actually want that right now. Like, I don't have the time for that. Or like, I don't even really feel like it. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about equality in relationships. Is it really possible to be truly equal in a relationship? And what does that even mean, to be equal? I have no idea. That's why, <laughs> that's why I wanted to do this episode. <laughs> we're just going to front load you with a bunch of questions, as per usual. Right. Maybe yeah. we'll answer them, maybe we won't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So uh, in the past, right, if we're thinking about good old traditional family values, the normal division of labor was all along gender lines, right? The man would work and make money and provide monetarily for the family while the woman was in charge of cooking and cleaning cleaning and raising the children. But obviously things are different now, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, When we were talking about this before, I mean, one of the biggest changes is the fact that it's not generally possible for most people to live on a one person income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That's, true. That that's, that's changed. That's not a thing. Especially that... not in LA. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> right. But I think in most places too, I mean, there are rare exceptions where people make a ton of money and people will try to hold this up as like, Oh no, look, we can still have these traditional gender roles and they can work out great and equal. But, but that's a very small percentage of people who, have a job that makes them enough money that the other partner doesn't have to work. Right. right? Yeah. And this is also assuming the other partner doesn't want to work. Mm, Yeah. Right. Which is another big part of, of the equality movements that have been going on is like, sure, maybe that would be fine and equal if that's what both parties wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. And that ingredient was missing even back then, even when it was possible for one person to support an entire family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. For sure. So things are very different now. Yeah. So I also was just wondering, like, because women are in the workforce now, kind of what does that look like in terms of like giving your fair share or equal division in the relationship? Like, how do you know if you or your partner is like putting in the same amount of the work Mm -hmm. in the relationship or in the child rearing or whatever it is? And also when you have multiple relationships, like what does equality look like there right and is it even a thing that people should strive for i also like didn't know it just is sort of a foreign concept to me i mean i get it and i get the it's a nice thing to strive for but there's so many what ifs and there's so many potentials for that to not exactly be what's going to happen well i feel like this opens up an even broader topic outside of just division of labor for if you're in a relationship where you're cohabiting or where you're raising a family together but i think it also goes into a much bigger question of like do the 
general dynamics in your relationship feel equal? Yeah. You know, like, do you both feel empowered as it were? Um, do you both feel like you have agency? Um, like it, it, I think it gets into this much bigger question beyond just like the day-to-day logistics of like, how do we split up the chores? For mm-hmm. instance? Oh yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that we want to explore in this episode is just that question before of, you know, is equality something that we want? And kind of what does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what does equality mean? Because I think people can get caught up in certain aspects of that rather than sort of seeing the impact it's actually having on the people involved. Because um, like we've talked about before with the idea of non-hierarchical non-monogamy, right? Polyamory, where you don't have a very clear primary secondary partner, that some people take that to mean like, oh, that must mean in order to not do that, I have to spend exactly the same amount of time or do exactly the same things with all my partners. And we're always the first ones to be like, no, 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 no. That's Mm -hmm. not what that means. That's absurd. Like you don't spend exactly the same amount of time with all of your Your friends friends or or all of your relatives. Like that's not what we mean. There's a difference there, right? Between giving individual agency to those, right? So we're going to explore that a little bit too. Right. I don't know. I think that when we talk about specifically when we talk about like non-hierarchy that people tend to interpret that as two different forms of harsh equality, I guess. It's like either, okay, that must mean that each relationship has to be equally important or equally unimportant. Mm. Like, I think I I get those interpretations a lot. Either that means like, oh, that means you have to like live with all your partners in the same house. and You're a big... Polycommune. You're just a big old big poly- right. polycommune, or it means that like, oh, you that must mean that no one's important to you, and like you keep everyone at arm's length, like that. That's what non-hierarchy means right. if you don't have a primary. Yeah, which is which often, some people do, but yeah. yeah, but that's often the accusation made against people who are solo polyamorous, mm, right? Right, of like, oh, well, you just don't want any serious relationships, and that's not necessarily the case, just yeah. because someone identifies that way. Yeah. And when we were talking about this and when I was looking up some stuff for this, it was interesting how often abuse came up when you Google like equality in relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of get into that a little bit, but there are kind of some things to watch out for if you're looking at potential equality or not in your relationships. Mm-hmm. So something that we wanted to start out with actually is to kind of come up with some questions that you can ask yourself um, about, do you have an imbalance in your relationship, right? So before we get into the specifics of how to build a good relationship, here's some ideas about ways to identify if maybe things are very unequal in an unhealthy way in your relationships. Yeah. Cause often, I mean, hopefully not often, but sometimes what can happen is that one partner may maintain like power and control over the other partner. So again, to see if that's potentially happening, there are various questions that I found um, from bustle.com and loveisrespect.org, and I sort of compiled them into this. So the first question is, uh, does one of us have a monopoly on decision-making? So does one person's preferences continue to dominate the relationship? Even Mm -hmm. if it's just as simple as like, okay, we always go to the restaurant that this person wants to go to, Mm -hmm. or they are the ones who always make the plans in the relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that happening? It can also be really common for this to, for that in particular to be a little bit tricky because the fact that I know I've definitely been in relationships in the past where not only have I been with someone who's maybe just used to taking charge more, but I'm also been used to 
giving that up to someone. Oh, like, yeah. like, like I'm very quick to just be like, okay, well, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. or well, how about you pick the best plan or, you know, and it's, it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm being domineered into this, but it's like, I also enable this imbalance to happen. That's mm-hmm. obviously not always the case with, especially if it's a, you know, really an abusive relationship. It's right. not always the case, but yeah, that does happen. But that's something to think about on either end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, this next one is a little heavier. Do either of us often feel put down by the other person in an argument? Uh, does one of us have to constantly explain themselves or like who they were with or where they were? I definitely, the very first really big relationship that I had in, uh, as gosh, I was in high school, mm-hmm. that was something that my partner always asked me, especially later on, was like, I saw you here. You know, or I heard some friends of mine said that you were out at the mall at like 10 o'clock. Like, what were you doing there or whatever? Like needing to give an accounting of every yeah, minute of your day. Exactly. Like, what were you doing? Who are you with? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think this is interesting because I feel like these are almost two totally separate things, right? Because there's that. But then the first part you talked about, like always feeling put down by the other person in arguments. Yeah. I think that one also can can definitely come up a lot. Yeah, and it was interesting because the the articles that I read kind of put these two together just saying, like, does one person constantly have to explain themselves or do mm. they feel like they're the bad guy Interesting. in right. the relationship or whatever? Um, and then that moves on to the next one. Does one of us gaslight the other about any abuse that might be occurring? So is that abuse minimized? Is it made light of? Um, is the blame pushed to the other partner, for example? Mm. I'm sure we've all been through this in some sh- way, shape, or form, but yeah, that obviously can get really intense. Yeah. Um, and then uh, are each of our boundaries being observed, or does one of us constantly push the personal boundaries despite clear communication? Mm. Mm. So the next one is, um, is one of us constantly in charge of the emotional labor when it comes to the relationship? And then also, does do either of us walk on pins and needles around the other person to prevent issues like rage and lashing out? And I think this is a really specific big one to think about because that can that can be the case with certain types of partners. Like, you know, if someone's way more of a peacemaker than they may try to alter their behavior Mm. so that they don't like get into a situation where their partner is going to be upset for any reason. Mm. Um, Even if it's like benign stuff, like things that don't really, that shouldn't it warrant a response like they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's a really interesting one to take a look at. Well, I think the question of emotional labor is interesting. Um, because you know that question is like is there just one half of this relationship that's in charge of all the emotional labor and that can emotional labor can mean many different things it could be are you the one in charge of making sure we stay in touch with family or that uh, everyone's communicating or am i the only one in charge of making sure that like you're able to talk out your day at work when you're really stressed but the that second question of like you know is there one of us who always has to walk on pins and needles around the other person or walk on eggshells around the other person is it's kind of like emotional labor also extends to am i the one also needing to take on the work of managing your emotions totally for yeah. you mm. yeah. you know like yeah. needing to like create an environment around you where nothing pisses you off essentially absolutely and it makes sense through all of these questions that it can lead to the is like if if answered in the affirmative if like Mm -hmm. yes this does keep happening 
that clearly that is a sign of abuse. And so I understand why that lack of equality or when you Google equality, that abuse comes mm. up as well because they yeah. kind of can go hand in hand if it's not working out um, in an equitable way. Yeah, like a, like an in, an imbalanced relationship is like really fertile ground for at least emotional abuse or yeah. actually probably any other kind of abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we did want to mention also that for the stuff we're talking about in this episode, while it definitely applies to abuse, and like you said, that that tends to come up a lot when you're searching it, we also want to talk about equality, even in much more benign ways, mm-hmm. or, or rather inequality and what we might be able to do about that. Even if it's just the fact that I'm feeling frustrated in this relationship, like I'm like, I feel like I'm the one doing most of the either manual household work, or I'm doing too much of the emotional labor, or things are financially not fair, or I'm sexually not satisfied, right? There's like so many different things that I definitely don't, you know, don't have to fall into abuse for it to still be like, mm-hmm. hey, we could do better than this. Let's find totally. a way to to create more equality. Yeah. So just to to kind of put that in there too, that of like, course. we're not only talking about severe levels on this episode, we're hoping to cover both. Yeah. Right, right. So what even does equality look like in a relationship? Um, that can be really difficult to define. Of course, it means so many different things to so many different people. Um for some people, the biggest issue that comes to mind is, uh, you know, for instance, sharing child-rearing responsibilities. Um, if they're with a partner that they're cohabiting or maybe co-parenting with, some people think that it's all about making sure that you do an equal division of household labor or of emotional labor. And for others, again, like we said at the beginning of the episode, it's more of a bigger topic around, um, you know, equality is attached to feeling mutual respect or feeling mutual trust in each other and in the relationship as well. Yeah. And again, like Jace was saying that again, it doesn't have to go into the, these very extreme levels of abusive territory to be something that you can strive for or to feel when things are out of whack or imbalanced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked up like definition of equality in relationships over and over again on Google and I finally like found one definition that I liked and it was really difficult because even looking up definition it didn't give me like a clear cut defined thing. Right. So this one is from real families, real answers.org. <laughs> wow. But I, I know. It's very real. Yes, yeah, real. <laughs> but um, I did like it. And it was uh, equal partners agree on goals together and work as a team to achieve those goals. So, yeah, I mean, it's not quite i don't even know but i liked it i I like it it. because and like i like it when i think about it in a sense of like really expanding uh how we're defining the term goal to be outside Mm. of just we have a goal of let's buy a house in the next five years and let's work together as a team to save up that money and then buy a house like that's one thing you could definitely do that um, but I also like it having a broader definition. They can of, be like little goals yeah. like throughout your relationship. Right. Or it could be a goal of like, let's just be happier in our relationship together. Sure. Let's have better communication. Let's have better sex. Let's, you know, let's have a better time mm-hmm. during the time that we spend together that I think that can be goals as well. That it's not just about, I think, like external measures of absolutely success or, or relationship escalator, escalator. Yeah, yeah exactly right. totally yeah and i think yeah that those are goals that are agreed on together mm-hmm. i think is a key part of that too yeah that, and i mean they can work in multi-person relationships or in monogamous relationships right mm-hmm. so you can have goal making things in either case right right so i want to take a quick interlude <laughs> it's not going to be that quick this oh, is this it. is good stuff here okay uh can i say brief 
Eh, sure. I, I'll, okay, I'll just say we're going to do an interlude here. An important um, interlude. An important interlude that needs to be a part of the conversation when we're talking about equality. Um, and when we talk about equal partnership or equal relationships, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all cut and dry, half and half, mathematical, we can put it on a spreadsheet and like <laughs> equally track it, essentially. I think for us, uh, you know, the concept of equality in relationships or an equal partnership, it also incorporates the concept of equity. And equity and equality, they're related, but they're a little bit different. Essentially, equity kind of boils down to rather than things being, you know, cut and dry half and half, it's about the people in the relationship feeling kind of equally empowered, having the same amount of agency, having, uh, you know, feeling empowered to be able to like make the choices and get what it is that they need in order to feel happy, which at the end of the day may not be 100% 50-50, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I could, I'd like to add to that definition that it, that, equity in a relationship also takes into account the fact that we're not the same person. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It takes into account that we may have mental, emotional, or physical, not only differences from each other, but even just different preferences from mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that yeah. it's not something that's just once it's 50, 50, exactly, then we'll both feel equally good. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to give some examples here. Um, the first one is if you have financial disparity between the two of you, you know, say someone does make an absurd amount of money and they can pay for everything, they can pay for living expenses, etc. But that the other partner still gets a say in how that money is spent, potentially, if they're living together, if they're married. Um, it, obviously, if this is a multi-person relationship where you're not living together, maybe things would be different there. But just that if you are kind of having a, a shared household that, you know, nobody gets to like lord the fact that they have a bunch of money over mm -hmm. you and you're not like this kept person because you're getting paid for essentially mm -hmm. but that there is some equality given those financial disparities mm -hmm. and then on the other side of that though say you know i have a job that makes me a ton of money or i you know sold my company when i was in my 20s and now i'm a millionaire right like whatever it is say i own this huge house and we get into a relationship, you move in with me and I expect you to pay half the mortgage, mm -hmm. right? And when you don't make that much money, yeah. that you'd think, oh, that's equal, right? That's equality. Right, we're paying the same amount of money. Right, this is, I think that's a good example of, sure, of yeah. mm -hmm. that, that on either side, it can either be a power tool like you were talking about, a power, you know, a thing mm -hmm. you can use power to have power move. over yeah. someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it can be this way, of kind like, of another way to get power over someone. By now, I'm financially burdening you much more relative to what you have than what I have. Yeah. And now that's also not equitable, mm -hmm. even right. though I could say, oh, it's equal. Yeah. Right, right. right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, there can also be disparities around uh, disability or illness. So mm -hmm. for instance, you know, if one of you in the partnership is chronically ill or has some kind of disability that the other one doesn't, that, you know, when it comes down to things like how you split up household chores, even if you, you know... <laughs> get out your chore wheel and uh -huh. make it all very, very equal of like, okay, well on Mondays and Tuesdays, like you do the dishes and then on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I do the dishes and like we switch off, you know, that even though it's equal because of the fact that you have different physical abilities going into that means that it's actually not very equitable. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, it's the kind of thing where it's like, we need to 
take stock of what everyone's bringing to the table here in order to make something feel equitable and equal, even if it's not like, again, like I said, this very, very, yes, this like very clear black and white division of, of things. Mm -hmm. And while those examples are, you know, good ones because they're very obvious and they're very easy to understand. The truth is that there are millions of different subtle things that could keep something that looks objectively equal from actually feeling equal Mm. to the people involved, or at least to one of the people involved. And so that's, you know, and like I said, this could even just be preference, right? Like even just to, to be super simple about it, one person might really enjoy one task that the other person hates, for example. And in the interest of equality, we split that up. So we both do it equally. Whereas for one person, that's enjoyable to do and the other person it's very much not right like that's even a just a super simple like no you know no brainer and it's not the dishwasher you get to do that (laughs) but i guess what i'm getting at is it's something that's not so obvious from the outside whereas Mm -hmm. like the money or a disability or an illness seems very obvious i guess when you look at it from the outside that something like that might not but it still factors in especially when you have lots of those that are all compounding on top of each other. Right. Right. Yeah. So in order to have these conversations, both partners need to feel enabled to speak honestly and to speak, you know, clearly and to express how, you know, the fairness or the equity of this feels to them. Mm. And unfortunately doing that is much more difficult than it seems. Right. Yeah. And I think some things that can happen uh, occur just probably because of our insecurities that we have like surrounding our partners. I mean, I think surrounding being honest with our partners about what we want and don't want. Because we have a lot of fears surrounding that honesty. Like for example, I tend to be kind of a people pleaser and a peacemaker. And so I'm less likely to like speak up when I'm frustrated about something. Um, Or I will far later just because finally it's like, Oh, I can't take it anymore. But initially, I might just be like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, we'll do what you want, we'll, you know, make the house look a certain way so that you are happy or whatever, Mm. you know, whatever it might be. Right, right. So that kind of gets in the way of being able to actually like, yeah, honestly kind of take stock with a partner about what both of you actually need or actually want. And there might be resentment that builds because you can't be honest in that way that you need to be. And so finally, when it does come up, it's like, well, I'm really pissed off about this, but I should have said something about it way before it got to that. Right. Right. You kind of end up in that catch 22. Totally. You feel like you're not getting what you need and the other person doesn't know they're not giving it to you. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know another thing that can get in the way that I definitely relate to is, if one of you in the partnership or in the relationship uh, is the problem solver, and that's definitely me. I mean, not uh, not as in I'm the one who solves all the problems, but I think that I am. <laughs> is more what it is. Uh, so, for instance, sometimes how that can manifest is that it's like if a partner comes to me feeling like there's some kind of imbalance or feeling like something's not right, I'm very much like, you know, instantly to try force number three is like, okay, what do we do to fix it? Okay, I'll do this to fix it. Okay, um, let's create this kind of system. You know, I'm much more into the like, well, we'll create this. I think I'm much more into the like, let's create the system that proves that we're able to like equally have this very clear division of things when that doesn't really give space for a partner to actually share just how they feel. 
about things being unequal. And so I tend to be the one who just wants to like kind of steamroll with problem solving when maybe that's not actually going to solve the problems at all. Use the Triforce system here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, another one is if one partner is just more stubborn than the other and maybe doesn't even realize the impact that that has on the other person, especially when you combine someone who is either more of the problem solver or more of the like, the one who's throwing out more of the ideas. And then the other person might be more like Emily was describing of the like, Oh, well I, you know, I just want to be sure you're happy. So I'm going to be more likely to go along with what you're saying instead of pointing out potential problems with it. Um, or maybe not even realizing those problems at front uh, up front. And I found that this can also come from just sort of your either family or friend background in terms of how you make decisions together as a group and how you discuss things. So as an example of this, when I'm discussing stuff with my friend Eric about something that we're going to do or something that we want to change in the house, like if we, you know, during the times when we're living together or things like that, it's, I'll find I have to kind of fight tooth and nail, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're going to have to really like argue it out to eventually get to an agreement that works for both of us. And for me, that's, it involves more of that than I'm normally accustomed to. So I've learned that though, from, you know, years of being friends with him that like, I'm going to step up that. Cause I know that in order to be heard, I have to like really fight it's for like it. Really make your case. Yeah. Really make my case. And then it's not a personal thing. That's just his style. That's either how his family was or how his friends were growing up, whatever it is. And then with Dedeker, for example, we're what to me feels a little more natural is like a little bit of a, of a back and forth, like you're going to defend your idea. You're going to point out problems in the other person's idea to just try to, you know, come up with the best possible solution and you eventually work your way toward that, but you're also going to listen at the same time. And then when I'm talking with Emily, because I've again, learned from years and making mistakes that, you know, she's less likely to fight for her idea because with her, the way she was raised or whatever her background is. <laughs> yeah. To, to fight's going to get a bad you're, reaction. You're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that, that if you try to fight, that's just going to get you hurt. Yeah. Right. So I've had to learn with Emily to turn off that thing of like, oh, well, but what about this? Like, oh, let me argue my case a little bit more and instead try to, you know, be a little bit softer and mm -hmm. listen more and kind of, okay, coaxing, like, tell me more about what you think about that idea. Yeah. You know, even if I might still disagree with it, I know that I have to coax more of the other side out, mm -hmm. right? So that's just a, like a simple example of how each of us have grown up with different ways of doing this. And that someone like Eric isn't, isn't trying to be a jerk. He's not being malicious. And similarly, like I'm not, when I'm talking with Emily, like when I'm not aware of that, but it can have that effect on the other person, just because you had different communication styles growing right. up, just because yeah. you had different ways of, of relating to people mm -hmm. and that that can end up causing a problem if you're not aware of it. Right. Yeah. Um, and on that same note, like I it, definitely, I have very, very anxious attachment style where I get scared of like a partner losing or me losing a partner or they're leaving me or something. And so I'll just compromise or, you know, say, okay, you win, whatever, uh, because I don't want to lose that person, for example. So that 
thing may become unbearable later on, but in the moment, I may just be like, okay, never mind, like, you win, because that's easier. It's easier to, like, take on the blame or mm. or whatever in the moment than to fight for what I really think is real just because I don't want to lose the person. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, gosh, that's something that, like, I think really drives a lot of people to yeah. to stay in relationships that are really unequal is because of that same thing of that. It's like, we'd rather be in an unequal relationship or an imbalanced relationship than be alone mm. or yeah, than yeah. to risk feeling hurt in that way. Um, and then the other thing that can get in the way of talking about these things is that, you know, the two of you may have come to a decision about something in the past that felt good, that felt right, that felt equal, that felt equitable. Um, but as the relationship shifts, as people change, as people grow, as situations change, it may not be equal or equitable anymore. Um, you know, and so what felt equal at the beginning of your relationship may not now. And of course that can apply to all the, all the examples that we gave that if your financial situation changes, if you get chronically sick, or if you're dealing with like chronic pain or something like that. Um, I think I see this with a lot of people when they're opening up that, mm. A lot of people who are coming from an, a monogamous relationship, it's really common to see like, well, at the beginning, we kind of started out and it felt equal if it's like, okay, well, I'll go out on a date on the nights that you go out on a date. And like, I'll only go out on a date when you also go out on a date and like, we'll keep it equal that way. But then as time progresses, as like their other relationships develop and form and kind of, you know, continue to grow organically, then they realize like, actually, this doesn't feel equal anymore. If I can't make plans with my girlfriend, unless you have plans with your partner or whatever. And now mm -hmm. we need to kind of change our agreements so that they actually do feel equal again. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I've, I've just heard that one come up so many times yeah, I know. that I know. people think that's going to make it feel more equal. But okay. But to, to be positive about it, to uh -huh. bring some optimism into it, um, which is not normally my role in the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. What's happened to you? To be fair. Like, I think I do get a lot of clients who they recognize that themselves. That's mm -hmm. like, they started out being like, okay, we thought that this was going to be equal and this is going to work. And then like a month later we realized like, actually this isn't really working. Let's mm -hmm. dump this and try something better, you know? So, a lot of people understand um, that yeah yeah, yeah i think good. like they figure that out pretty quickly yeah not everyone but at least my wonderful clients do <laughs> <laughs> so now we want to ask the question how do you make your relationships equal right so relationships ideally won't be about constant self-sacrifice and one should ask themselves you know how can I fulfill my own needs? How can I get those fulfilled while still also being able to fulfill my partner's needs? That's the ideal, right? That's, yes. that's what we should all strive for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we came up with some questions to ask for that. So the first one is, is just to ask yourself, you know, what do I need right now? Is this a physical or is it an emotional need? Right. You know, and, and I think that there's also other categories, right? Is it a need about time? Is it more about, um, uh, you know, feeling a burden from something that that feels too heavy for me, right? Mm. Like it's kind of trying to really get to like, what is it that feels off is for like, me? Is it, am I feeling a lack where like, I think my partner's getting something and I'm not getting it back mm. from my partner? Yeah. Right. And I think the challenge with this one because yeah, this one kind of touches on sex, which I think mm, sure is a challenging one for a lot of people, and that's one that I I was hesitant to include because I was like, is 
yeah, keeping sex equal, like nobody should have sex if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. But then also mm-hmm. people do have needs and you want those needs to be fulfilled and met. So where can the compromise happen? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's where we get to that question of like, how can I fulfill my own needs while also fulfilling my partner's needs and, and respecting their needs, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah, sure to use sex as an example. If, if I feel like I'm not getting enough sex, I could feel like, hey, this, isn't, this is unfair, right? There's, there's not equality here because I'm not having, you know, I'm not getting as much sex in this relationship as I want. But on the flip side of that, if you're with someone where you feel like sex now is no longer fun, but it's like an obligation, it's a thing that I have to do because my other partner needs it. That's not good either. And mm-hmm. it's also going to make the sex the person gets not as good, not right? Good. Like it's just yeah. all around. This is not a solution that's right. helping anybody. Right. Um, and I feel like w- what I was going to get to though, is I think part of asking this question of like, what do I need right now is trying to actually get away from comparing it to your partner you know, like rather than, well, they get this and I don't get this. Cause I fall into that trap a lot of being like, well, my partner has this. I wish I had that. That's, that's not equal. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. And instead asking the question of, well, what is it that I really want? Is there something that I want to have in my life that I'm lacking? And I think I've given this example before of just like, say my partner's going on more dates than I am or has more serious partners than I have, you know, I can start to feel jealous or envious of that. If like, oh gosh, you know, I wish I had those things. But then when it, sometimes when I stop and think about it, I'm like, I don't actually want that right now. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have the time for that. Or like, I don't even really feel like it, mm-hmm. but I'm getting caught up in comparing myself. I'm getting caught up in that sort of objective spreadsheet equality, right? Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. oh, I must be not getting what I want because it's not equal, right? Yeah. right? right. And it can be easy to get caught up in those. So instead totally. to ask kind of, what is it, if I'm upset, is there something I'm lacking? And it might not be what I think it is at first if I'm comparing, right? right? And then um, the next question is, can you sacrifice your own needs to meet the needs of your relationship without feeling resentment? So I think this would be a good question, like Emily, in your example. For sure. Of if we're all going to make certain compromises, certain sacrifices at different times, is this one I can actually make and feel good about? Yeah, and stick to it. <laughs> right? right? That's like, a good question. And be honest with yourself in this moment, too. And, and yeah. so, like, you know, even if it's like, well, right now, yes, like, ask yourself a year down the road or two years down the road or even six months, like, will you still not feel resentment mm, or if this mm-hmm. keeps compounding and, and coming up, is that something that's going to finally like, you know, straw breaks the camel's back kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. That's why I think with my clients, I always, when, whenever they're trying to hash out some kind of compromise or negotiation around something, like that's why I always encourage like a lot of check-ins and also sunset clauses on things. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Sunset clause. Sunset clauses. So for instance, like, I I don't know, like, let's say, you know, a couple's having a really hard time and maybe they've been open for a while, but maybe they are like, it's all chaotic. And like, I think that, um, you know, it'd be great if we could just not see other people for a little while. Um, And this is also, I think this is assuming a context where there's not like ongoing relationships. Maybe they're just like going on dates or whatever like that. They're just first exploring. Um, That's why I always encourage people to be like, okay, well, let's agree that like, let's do this for a month uh, and see 
how this feels, you know, as long as this is a decision that's not going to like break someone else's heart, you know, or, or have like some huge impact on someone outside the relationship. Like, let's mm-hmm. just try this for a month and see how that goes. Because again, if it's something that we agree to just interminably, there's a lot of opportunities for resentment to come up. Yeah. And I think also along the same lines, that question of like, can you sacrifice this particular need without feeling resentment? That's really hard for people to ask that question when they're in NRE. Sure. When they're in uh. the first year of a relationship all the time. Like, yeah. because again, probably just, a lot of self-sacrifice might happen. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you're thinking like this person's the best person ever. And like, I'm so in love and it all feels good. It doesn't and matter yeah, what I sacrifice. Whatever it all I just feels good. Them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, whatever they want. Yeah. But I find myself asking clients all the time. Like I have a lot of clients who maybe have been polyamorous their entire life and then they fall in love with a monogamous person and they're like, whatever, like I'll give this a try. It'll be fine. And like really, yes, like really getting yourself to ask that question, like really though, could I give up this part of myself forever (laughs) in theory forever? Could I, you know? Um, And again, it's that same thing where like, it's so hard to have a barometer on that when you're in that particular stage of a relationship. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I I just also wanted to throw in with this one um, that especially during that NRE time, you might not know that this is something that you're not going to be able to live with later. And that can cause problems if both partners aren't aware of the fact that situations can change and that that's going on because you can end up in a situation where, okay, shoot, now I'm feeling really bad. I'm feeling like there's this big disparity here. I'm very much not getting what I want in this relationship. I'm unhappy with this. And when I try to say something about it, the response I get is, well, that, that's the decision we made. You agreed to this, or maybe even you right. suggested this thing mm. back then, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is used kind of as an attack to, to keep things this way. And I think that that's, that's definitely a conversation that I think needs to be had where both people can come to it with this understanding that mm. things can change. And, right. that, yeah. and that just because someone agreed to something at one point doesn't mean that now they're somehow betraying you or lying to you by saying that this doesn't feel good. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Right. Um, another question to ask yourself is what do I want to ask for? <laughs> Which <laughs> I think is difficult. It's a difficult question to, to pose to yourself just simply because so often you have really intense feelings, but you don't know why necessarily, mm-hmm. or you're just mm-hmm. sitting there like I'm angry and I want something from my partner, but really like compiling or, or putting together a very succinct, good question saying like, this is the thing that will ultimately help me mm. and I'm going to ask you for it. I think that's a very diff- difficult thing to do for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I think the disparity between feeling the need versus what you're actually going to ask for, because mm. I, I feel like we're so used to it being something along the lines of like, oh, well, I feel like I need more sex for my partner, so I'm just going to ask for more sex for my partner. Yeah, but um, it's like, do you, or do you just want intimacy? Right, exactly. Like, mm. Or is it more like, actually, I don't need more sex. Like, maybe it's actually, I just want more physical touch from you more times, or I just want to be able to talk to you about sex more often. Like, I think it's, that's the thing, is it's like one, after you feel the need, it requires a little more of the, diving in process to figure out. And this could be, I think this is a combination of both diving in like by yourself, figuring this out and also discussing with a partner of like, okay, but what actually could be the solution here? Mm-hmm. Um, and Cause often 
the thing that I always end up saying to people is the thing that you think is the thing is probably not the thing. Um, so, <laughs> so that the, like the thing of thinking like, Oh, I, I need more sex for my partner. That may not actually be, it may not just stay at that surface level. It may be something a little bit more nuanced or a little bit deeper. Totally. Like I actually just feel bad about my body sometimes, or I'm wondering mm, like what, yeah. yeah, does my partner find me sexually attractive? So maybe what I need is affirmation with oh, yeah, that yeah. not just like more sex right because maybe that won't actually fulfill that part of what i right. need or it right. could be just i just need to be able to have an orgasm more often sure. and to, like have it to be okay to like masturbate sometimes yeah you know right yeah stuff like that um the next one is how does my need impact my partner so again along those lines because i think so many people uh with sex that this is an easy one but mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. i they'll they'll really ask a lot or or get upset when somebody says no. Mm. And so that is that does affect your partner in the moment. And that's really something to look at and think about. Does my my need for sex and my continually hounding my partner for it, how does that make them feel? Mm. And yeah, is that something that I need to look at? Yeah. And I, something I, I do want to have a little bit of an aside here to talk about some research I was reading about recently. Okay. And this asking yourself the question of how does my need impact my partner, I think really touches on this. And this is based on actually a whole collection of studies. So this wasn't just one study, but it was an analysis of a number of studies done showing that the idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to imagine how they feel about something has actually been scientifically shown to not make you any more likely to accurately predict how that person feels. Hmm. However, it will make you more confident that you think you know how they feel without actually making you any more accurate. You'll just think you're more accurate. Uh, The one good thing they have found to that is that it does help you get out of an egocentric way of thinking, which can be helpful and can be a good first step. So that's not to say never try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. However, with a question like this, how does my need impact my partner? Well, what the studies found is that the most effective way to know how another person is feeling is to ask them. (laughs) (laughs) They had to study that, did they? (laughs) Right? Apparently. (laughs) Is to ask them, and then also, I think more importantly, to believe them, Mm. to trust them, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Interesting. Because like we were talking about with the different debate styles that you were raised with, there's all sorts of other little values and priorities and certain things have more meaning to you than others that were all calibrated a little bit different with that. And so you might think, well, if I were you, I would feel this way. And the person feels a completely different way. Mm. It's not like, well, no, you don't. That's not actually how you feel, or you must not understand how you feel, but instead to actually trust the person will more likely, it's been scientifically shown, be more likely to get you an accurate result of how that person feels. Yeah. So I think this one's an important one to not just think about yourself, but also to include your partner in that conversation. So it's not like I'm coming to you now with all the solutions because I've already figured out how this is going to impact you. Right, yeah. which the whole mm, problem-solving, right. steamrolling thing can fall yeah, into yeah, that. Yeah. Right, but instead, here's what I'm thinking: How would this impact you? Right? H- how would this feel to you? How can we work together toward this and maybe adjust what I was thinking? Yeah, right. yeah. And then uh, finally, the last one is: How does my need impact my relationship? So the relationship as a whole, not just to the other person, but both of us together. Mm. 
For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. All right, now let's gonna, get, get to the real questions. Yeah, I'm going to bring us back in with a question that we get all the time. And we talked about this a bit at the top of the show about specifically when you're talking about like non-hierarchical polyamory or non-hierarchical non-monogamy that a lot of people are like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. So does that mean like everyone's equal? Does that mean that uh, like you don't care about anybody? Or does that mean that like you spend the same amount of time with everybody right. or does that mean that you spend the same amount of money on everybody or does it mean that like you're all going to join a weird commune or like live in the same house together, stuff like that. And, and a lot of people struggle with this. Like I think people who do want to practice some form of non-hierarchical polyamory, um, they do struggle with like, how do I make this all feel good for everyone? Um, and I think it is easy to fall into the trap of thinking that quote unquote, like equal relationships means that you do have to spend the same amount of time or the mm -hmm. same amount of money or has to be the same frequency of sex or, or even that you have to mm. feel exactly the same about all your partners or that you have to use the same label for all of them, which is not necessarily the case. And in reality, again, I think it's easier to incorporate this idea of equity that we also talked about at the top of the show, which is, you know, empowering all of your relationships and all of your partners with what they need in order for the people who are in that relationship to feel successful or to feel happy. Um, so, you know, that may look like, you know, you spend, I don't know, like maybe that does look like you spend four days out of your week with one partner and then two days out of your week with another partner. But if, you know, partner B feels good about two days of the week or that's maybe that's the only amount of time that they have and they feel happy about that, then that to me looks like equitable relationships because it's like you're kind of putting in the time and effort needed to make everyone feel happy and successful in their relationships. Um, and it's a compromise, like maybe they, or, or it's both of you deciding at the same time, like, this is what we want. Like maybe mm -hmm. partner B doesn't want to give you any more than two days a week right. and you don't want that either. Right. So that is equal. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. But bearing in mind that that can change. It can mm -hmm. be open to change because I think that I see a lot of people 
like, especially I think people in more hierarchical relationships being like, well, six days out of the week goes to my primary partner. Like I have one day a week. And so when they start dating someone, they're like, well, you know, from the beginning, I have one day a week, I have one day a week. And maybe at the beginning of the relationship, the person's like, yeah, great. Awesome. One day a week. Honestly, I don't even know you that well. So one day a week sounds great. But then over time that can change. And it's kind of that same thing that we were talking about earlier that then it can fall into this like, well, you knew from the beginning only one day a week, um, you know, but it's like, but maybe that changes. Maybe that's not what that partner needs anymore and they need something else. And so it's about, I feel like it's about being able to shift and change and have that fluidity in order to be able to make all of your relationships I guess make everyone who's in a relationship with you at least feel like they have equitable access to what they need in order to be happy in the relationship. Yeah. Well, and I do want to to add on to that though, because I'm hearing, you know, the screams of all the people listening. Um, which, which people specifically? Well, the people who are hearing this and they're thinking, well, that no, because in my life I have all these people who want all these things for me and I can't give that to all of them. Right. And so I think something that's worth mentioning and, and like being very aware of is if you can try to focus first on understanding what needs you have and also what availability you have, and then approaching it as this is my time that I have mm. that I'm making available to some of my partners. And, and that means, you know, making time for yourself uh, however much you need, right? For your professional stuff, as well as your social life or your family engagements, or even just your alone time, right? Taking that into account, but then of saying, you know, here's what I have that's available. And this is my time I'm giving to you mm. rather than, well, this is all this partner's time, but I'll try to take some of their time to give to you. Mm. And I know that that might look from the outside. Those two situations might look the same actually, but they, I think there is a very fundamental difference in approaching it that way and thinking about it and communicating about it that way, right? Both for the sake of the person who, you know, I don't want to feel like in order for me to get time, that means I have to take it from this other person. And at the same time, it helps, you know, the person, the other person to not feel like, oh, well, you're taking my time and giving it to so-and-so. And instead, keeping in mind that it's your time, right? Mm, that the yeah. whole time, this is your time. Right, right. And I think the other thing to add is just that it might be that you're not going to be able to give everybody everything they want. Just like in our other examples, right? That you just because your partner you wants it, yeah. more sex than you doesn't mean you have to give that to them, mm. right? True. It means maybe there's another way we can try to get your needs met that don't involve me doing something that's outside of my comfort zone. I mean, if I can quote Fee from a couple episodes ago, mm, yeah. this wonderful quote that so many people tweeted it and then attributed <laughs> to us for some reason, oh, um, no. but I have to give proper credit, uh, that you don't have to be everything to be enough. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's a good one. Mm. Good um, one, Fee. But I guess what I'm getting at here is just that I think people can, and I've definitely done this, can really stress themselves out in non-monogamy over feeling like I need to meet all of the needs of all of my partners. Yeah. Right? The whole thing of like, I'm going to take what I remember trying to do in my monogamous relationships and now just multiply that. Yeah, That definitely. sounds incredibly <laughs> overwhelming, yeah. right? Um, but instead, like approaching all of it as, as these negotiations of how does this feel like what are other ways that we can meet the needs of everyone involved, you know, that, that doesn't involve anyone overextending themselves or going, 
you know, or crossing a boundary, but even not even that, but even just going outside of a comfort zone, you know, more than, more than they want to, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've gotten to the end of this episode and, uh, you're realizing, oh, I feel like there actually is some kind of clear imbalance in my relationship or in one of my Mm. relationships or all my relationships or whatever. Uh, so what are you supposed to do about that? Well, our tried and true and tested <laughs> radar, mm-hmm. it does it does work. It does help. I mean, maybe not for everyone all the time, but it is a great place to start to, again, have that really safe space once a month or a, as many times a month as you need um, to just sit there and, and air your grievances, to talk about things, to go over that long list that we created mm. and provided for you. Go back to your radar episode um, if you need to. But yeah, that, that list of all the things that like, which include household chores or family yeah, or yeah, yeah. And sex, you know, and sex, travel yes, and, right. travel, fights, arguments, other partners, all of those things and go down and really honestly talk about what needs to change or what needs to be discussed and what compromises need to be made. Um, and also that, you know, you've found, hey, I, I see that we're both doing these patterns that are clearly making this relationship not equal. What can we do that will mutually benefit both of us? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's good to bring up because, I mean, coming to your partner and talking about like, hey, things feel unequal or things feeling imbalanced, like that's a pretty big thing to bring up, even if it's about a small topic like chores or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever. Um and I think it's especially good to be able to bring that up in a space when it's not like, I just saw that there's a sink full of dirty dishes and I'm really angry and I'm like uh. sitting here doing the dishes thinking about how I always end up doing this and I'm so resentful and now I'm going to snap at my partner as soon as he walks in the door and start the conversation then. Yeah, that's why radar is the right. safe space. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. a best foundation for having that kind of that kind of conversation in that moment. But again, being able to have the relatively neutral space established to bring up such a big topic like that. Yeah. I think the other key component of using radar is the fact that it happens every month mm-hmm. or however often you do it every week, right. every two weeks is like Dedeker talked about with sort of putting a sunset clause on things. Something that we've often done in our radars is like, it gives you more of the ability to try stuff yeah. and say, okay, well, let's do this for the next month. We'll make a note so that at our next radar, we can be like, how did this work? Did this solve the problem? Did it get us closer so we can tweak it? We can decide to keep doing it or look for a different solution, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to that thing of like, well, how are we going to solve this? We end up getting to some solution. You know, that's being optimistic even, but say (laughs) less, we get to some solution and then you're kind of stuck in that forever. And if you want to, if it changes for you later, it's like, well, you said this would be okay. And now you're not, you lied to me. You weren't on it. Right. Like it can get that bad. Whereas having a monthly check-in gives you a built-in way to say, okay, let's try this and then check in and see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And another thing to bear in mind, like if you've become aware of some kind of imbalance in your relationship, whether that's you've realized it, your partner's brought it up or something like that. When you're talking about it, I think, it's really important to allow space for multiple narratives. And I know we've talked about this on the show before. I just don't remember which episode. Um, But as in, you know, so let's say your partner comes to you and says, I, you know, like, I I feel like I'm not, we're not having sex often enough. I want to have sex more often. 
And this is a big surprise to you because you're like, actually, I felt great about our sex life. I thought we were having a lot of sex quite frequently. I thought it was fine. Um, It can be really easy in that moment to really fall into, well, surely one of us is wrong and one of us is right. You know, like, let's argue. So now we need to argue. Like, I need to be like, no, no, no. Like, we had sex on this day and then this day and then this day. And then your partner needs to argue back. Like, no, no, no. Like, you said no to me this time. And like, and like, I was rejected this time. And like, I tried to do this. And like, you know, yada, yada, yada. Like, you both sit there trying to argue who actually has a grip on what's actually happening in own reality. Exactly. When the truth is that like, sometimes there can be multiple realities, not necessarily in a sci-fi way, but who (laughs) knows um, that there can be multiple realities in this relationship that like what your partner feels is not enough sex feels like a perfect amount of sex to you. And maybe you didn't realize it until then. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's just something to bear in mind coming into these conversations of realizing like you feel this way, your partner feels this way it's not necessarily the case that one of you is wrong and one of you is right. Like to both of you, that feels true. And there's no way of objectively knowing what actually is true. Um, And using that as a basis for then talking about things moving forward. And like, I can't even tell you the number of times that Jace and I have had the conversation of like, I felt like I've been doing all the chores lately. Like, well, I felt like I've been doing all the chores lately. (laughs) And like, that should be your cue instead of it being like, okay, well we better figure out who's actually been doing all the chores lately. Like that should be a cue of, of like, oh, let's talk about why we both feel that way. Right. Let's talk about that must be, there must be something going on here. Like, let's kind of try to pick, you know, pick this puzzle apart of like why it is that we both feel that way and how we can both feel better as opposed to trying to impose my reality on the other person. Yeah. And that's actually led us to some really cool realizations of, oh, actually this wasn't about who's doing the chores but it's about who's keeping track of whether the chores are getting done, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. that's actually where the stress was coming from more than the actual mechanical washing of dishes or mm-hmm. cleaning of a bathroom or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. But so once you can stop worrying so much about the like, I love the spreadsheet equality, mm-hmm. you know, the objective equality argument and instead about like, well, what's going on? Like what's feeling bad? Right. And that's what led us to that, which right. was really cool. You know, I think with the sex thing, it can, you know, allowing space for multiple narratives can open up a lot of different possibilities. Cause it could just be like, you know, you may realize actually like, it's not about the frequency of sex. It's about the way that I feel rejected yeah. or it's mm-hmm. about the way that you say no to me or, it, or, or maybe for me, it's, it's, it's not about like the frequency of sex, but it's about like the quality of sex that we have when we are together. You know, like, I think that, in allowing for there to be multiple realities and not getting into that nitty gritty of like, we've got to try to prove each other wrong or right. That Mm -hmm. it allows you to be much more expansive in that conversation about what's actually at the foundation of this perceived inequality here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also goes back to that idea of just actually believing the person when they tell Mm -hmm. you how they feel too, Mm -hmm. where that say it is that you want more sex and it's not any of those other things about quality of sex or whatever. It's just literally you want more sex. And the other person says, literally, I don't. That that's true. That both mm-hmm. those things are true. And it's not that one person's wrong or trying to hurt the other person, but starting from that place of, okay, I believe you that your reality is different from mine. Now, where do we go? Right. And yeah. again, I think it, like Dedeker was saying, it opens up other possibilities. It opens you up to being a little more creative and trying to come up with solutions instead of just, we have the same argument over and over again. Yeah. Right. Um, And then that actually goes into what we talked about before is not trying to just rely on putting your, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, 
And what I mean by that is don't project your sense of equality and fairness onto your partner, mm. because what might feel fair for you might not feel fair for them. Totally. Right? And to understand that physical and like monetary differences aside, there's a whole host of other things that could be different between the two of you in terms of your values and your preferences that you can't just like total them all up and make a spreadsheet formula out of it. Well, right. or think that like what you think is what everyone thinks. Right. And I, I think that a lot of people get into that trap. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of just this it must be how everyone is. And therefore what my partner is doing is wrong because objectively, like what I think to be right is right. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think this comes up in more arenas than this. Oh yeah. yeah I think yeah, we definitely. could do a whole episode about that assumption, right? Yeah. That, totally. that everyone else experiences the world the same way I do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Uh, as much as we may wish that that is the case, <laughs> it's just not at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, we always have to do this. I, I feel like I feel like this is our final note a lot, but it is something to think about, especially in those potentially abusive types of relationships, that if you cannot get through to your partner, if the two of you cannot reach a mutual beneficial like understanding for the relationship that you're in, then it may be time to think about leaving that relationship. Well, Emily, what I wrote down on the document was leaving that shit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that shitty relationship, leave it. Yeah, I mean, really, though, don't, this is easier said than done, but but try to um, really understand, like, hey, maybe the two of us just are not on the same page here. And again, it doesn't need to be those abusive relationships, obviously. If they are, then yes, seek help, seek a way in Mm -hmm. which to end that relationship, but if it's just that the two of you are not seeing eye to eye over and over and over and over again, then maybe this relationship isn't for the two of you. Yeah. And something just to go on to that about the fear of being alone, like we've talked about keeps people in relationships is just to think about the fact that your life is most likely going to go on quite a while longer than Mm. just right now. Let's hope so. And if you think about, maybe you really do hate being alone and not being with someone. But if you think about, I might spend a few months or even a few years not with a partner. Is that really worse than your entire life of being unhappy in a relationship? Yeah. Right. I think zooming out to see that it's like, Oh yeah, actually you're right. I don't like being alone, but my entire life never changing of this. That's worse. Yeah. Yeah, totally. If you want to get in touch with us, send an email to info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can leave us a voicemail at 678-MULTI05, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com.
Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.